Hi, Rob here with a brief disclaimer. While our guest today is a lawyer, Kay Tuxman and I are not. So before you go off half-cocked on any advice or tips that you get from this podcast, please consult your own legal counsel. Thank you and enjoy the show. Your Honor, my name is Robert Higgins. And I'm Kay Tuxford. And this is episode 90 of Screenwriting from the Trenches, a podcast about the craft and expression of screenwriting in all of its forms from the perspective of writers just like you. This week, we are talking about the legalities of screenwriting with today's guest, my good friend, former writers group buddy, and my de facto lawyer, Pamela Nash. Hello, Pam. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Rob. Um, it's so good to see you. Mm-hmm. I, I told Pam, but I'm going to tell you guys as well. This is going to be kind of a love fest because I have no shortage of love for Pam. She has kept me from made, making some some really bad decisions over the years. And so I, I, I invited her on the show because I, I imagine if I'm making stupid decisions, then some of you are out there making stupid decisions. And so Pam's going to help us with those. But before we get into that, we usually talk about what is screenwriting Twitter or Twitter about, but in solidarity with the WGA, until this strike is over, we shall be referring to this segment as the strike corner. Take it away, Zach. It's just another day in screenwriting drama, screenwriting drama, screenwriting drama. It's just another day in screenwriting drama. It's another day in screenwriting drama. And we're back. So, okay, here, here's, I hate this. Well, no, I don't. I'm starting the episode off with an I told you so. I believe that I've been banging this drum for the last three, four weeks. And then it happened, Kate Tuxford. And then yep. it happened. It didn't even take four weeks. We got we saw on Twitter this week there was a tweet that went viral, the sort of viral where Netflix had contacted Allison Maslock, uh, aka at Kiko Cat about their writing program and they contacted her by email and she contacted them back i guess asking them if working with them would constitute breaking the strike and netflix was like yeah it would totally Uh, no she forwarded it to the guild oh she forwarded it to the guild right yeah and the guild said this would be considered strike breaking activity so the guild from the guild's lips that was a big no-no yeah Mm mm-hmm and I'm sure it is because Netflix is probably, at, while David Zaslov is the most visible villain, he is kind of the the warm up to the <laughs> to the juggernaut that is, that Netflix. is Netflix. Yeah. So yeah, but I and told you guys, I told you guys, Netflix has the most skin in the game because it only exists on streaming. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at something like HBO Max or something, uh, Paramount, they have their own you know, regular, I guess, challenge, you know, channel, they can put stuff on, etc. But uh, Netflix only exists in streaming. Their their DVD company rental is over. They don't do that anymore. So yeah, yeah, I got the email about that. They're just, they're closing it down. They're shutting it down. Yeah. Which is, you know, maybe a bad idea for them right now. Maybe they, maybe they need that extra DVD money. It makes Um, me sad, but you know, it is what it is. But I told you guys, like, this is what was going to happen. Like you can strike all you want, and uh, and like I said, we're all in solidarity with the WGA. But this is there's too many non WGA people. Y'all need to fix it. It's gonna come back and bite you in the ass. This is just a warm up. But anyway, I I'm, I don't 
ever tire of being right. And I'm just look forward to being right more in the future. So let's move on to something else where I knew I was right. I'm just stacking them all up this week. The w- I see that. Yeah, the WB trotted out Ezra Miller for the premiere of The Flash. And... <laughs> Just... Yeah, it, it was awkward as fuck. Um, by the way, just in case you were worried, Pam, we can say whatever we want, so you can say fuck as many times as you need to. Pam's Lord, not a big I... fan of 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 the. Films. Oh well, then you don't have to either. It's all good. Yeah, but we usually at this point, one of our guests are always like, "What mm, can I say?" Can I, yeah. It was so awkward because the standing ovation was awkward. Standing ovation yeah. is awkward. Super awkward. It's like, that's so weird. And I've been seeing people, and I'm seeing you guys on Twitter. And if you guys are listening to this and you're mad, that's fine. I don't care. Because everything that we've been talking about for the last few years, with Me Too, Time's Up, and then you guys would just be like, yeah, it's fine, but The Flash. Like... <laughs> we want to, we Didn't we say we wanted to stop this behavior? We wanted to stop abusers from leading $250 million blockbusters. Isn't that what we said? Isn't that, I, I thought we were all in agreement on that. And then everybody was like, but Michael Keaton plays Batman again. And they were, you know what I mean? Just just to replace all of Ezra Miller's scenes with Tig Navarro and I'm in. <laughs> I, just, just, I wanted Tig treatment, that's all. Gross. It's gross. Yeah, it's like, it's like, it's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, this project's essentially, I guess the idea is the project's too big to fail. So even I hope that we, I hope, I hope that we. They interpreted we, that, yeah. I hope that we proved them wrong. I hope that this, this project is not too big to fail. I hope this project crashes and burns like the Titanic. I really, really do. Although the Titanic didn't burn. I really, I hope that this project just crashes. And it's just like, oh, DOA. But I doubt that that's going to be the case. Yeah, it, it's it's a it's a real it's a real uh, catch twenty two because you know part of them, but for the responses I'm getting is people are like, "This is the best DCU movie made," which is not saying much. Let's be no, honest. No, no, <laughs> but but then you're like, "Yeah, but if I go, I know I'm acting like it's like I'm I'm a queer woman, so like I don't go to Chick Fil A, right? Right, uh, and I don't get pasta burrito because I know that they put you know money into anti LGBT stuff, and like Chick Fil A is delicious. It is. It's, it's delicious. It's delicious. It's you know? delicious. Yeah, but you know, at a certain point, I'm like, I don't want to give the people who are who are doing bad things to people money, um, and so that's the moral quandary here. Is we all know that Ezra Miller has some very shady unstable activity but one of them being potentially grooming underage children and as well as choking a woman on camera choking a woman yeah exactly there's just no like there's certain things that you could say i don't know did he do that but then there are other things that he's pleaded guilt that they've pleaded guilty to and other things that they've just been caught on camera yeah there's not a lot to argue with so yeah there's not a lot to argue with but you know this Ezra Miller is not the first person in the entertainment industry that gets some sort of pass. We've had that problem with, you know, musicians. We've had that problem with actors, artists, directors, where it's like, oh, you know, David O. Russell is infamous for for his Lily Tomlin outburst screaming oh, yeah. scene in I Heart Huckabees. Still making movies, right? Yep. 
and you know it's 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 babbling and and groped uh his transgender niece like to the point where she pressed i believe pressed charges right yeah so, so the point is, is like we know we know some of these people in town are pieces of shit and yet that doesn't always run them out of town which is very disappointing well speaking of well let's there's no segue uh, away from that but sorry uh, i had to soapbox a little bit yeah that's okay kate talks about this one is one of yours and i'm gonna this is this is a great topic for all three of us since we're all since pam in addition to be a wonderful lawyer is also an award-winning screenwriter so soderbergh complained about using phones in movies yeah those tweets following up with this some interesting ones about it movies kind of killing the cinematic vibe and then somebody noted how many how long it's been since famous directors have directed a modern day movie you know as i the implication is maybe they're avoiding trying to use cell phones and tech eh, you know i don't think that's like a a real correlation there i think once you have the status of being one of the big big directors in town you suddenly have the freedom to do a period piece which is more expensive um, or something like Guillermo del Toro, like, you know, he wants to do monster movies and Pinocchio and animation. That's not really going to have cell phones in it. Even if it's like a modern day Pinocchio, I think we're going to be focused on other things, you know? Well, um, I don't know. Like, I don't, I'll, I'll pose this question to you. Do you guys find it difficult when writing scenes like, or like, you know, is it too much to go, well, somebody could be just reached by cell phone. Does that ever just like block your progress? I'm going to leave this one to Pam. I, you know, I don't really think of it like that. Right now, I'm I'm focusing on things that happened, at, at least screenwriting wise, before like cell phones were prolific. But I think part of the problem is, and I wish I could remember the name of it, but there's this film about a dad who's looking for his missing kid, searching. And, okay, and it's going all through Ooh, like yeah, tech, searching, yeah. like they did a really good job using the technologies that we have, but on the other hand, it's already dated like as, as soon as you you put that thing down on film now we've moved on our technology looks different now we communicate by emoji like right um, yeah and i think that because the the phone technology changes so fast plus then you've got the the deal with do you use apple phones or do you use android phones or google phones and who's paying for the copyright on that nonsense or or the trademark license to have their phones in there right you ever look on the Big Bang Theory, that TV show, which is constantly in reruns, at least here, mm-hmm. there's always something covering the logo of yeah. the computers that they use. They have computers all the time, but it's almost always covered with something so that they don't have to pick a side, so to speak. Right. Some and people guess- just make up their own. You see stuff like iCarly and things like that. They used to make up fake products. They're like they, Instead of Apple, they had Pear. And so oh, okay. all the electronics would have pairs on them. <laughs> Our Futurama had an iPhone spelled I and it went into your eyeball. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. But also think about it, Rob. You're filming somebody. How are you lighting their face when their face is... Because this is what people look like, right? Head mm-hmm. down, hunched over a screen is kind of not awesome to light, not awesome to shoot, not dynamic on the screen. I think if I was doing something in this day and age, I would try to avoid it unless it was necessary to that character or to that story you know somebody who's limited by like the phone in terms of stuff i know there's there's different ways because i feel like if you put it in a case 
usually that covers like most of the identifying yeah. marks. So mm -hmm. you have that sort of thing. You can keep it out like that. But in terms of like I lean into it, especially for my latest rom-com, we just leaned into the the phone aesthetic since we were shooting on a phone instead of trying to pretend that we weren't shooting on phones. Mm -hmm. So we just leaned into the aesthetic. Yeah, well, as long as it's necessary to the character or the story, then right. yeah. I wouldn't yeah. say everybody just use your phones because people have phones. I mean, right. if it's on the screen, it's got to mean something. You know, I, I just finished that horror movie of like a month or two month ago now, The Owl Woman, and it was about a rave set in the desert. And I think horror movies kind of get, you know, the, the trouble, which is like, oh, the murder is after you. Why don't you make a call? Yeah. And, you know, I think that's the, the big, oh, it's too hard now. But when I was writing it, I think that it was pretty easy still to show that it's a complication or it's not an instant solution, you know? So for example, I think we forget, but a person like running, you know, through the woods or somewhere a strain, it's not like they can pinpoint exactly where you are, right? right. When you're there, et cetera. So you can be like, help, help, help. And, you know, our technology is still going to be like, all right, we got you between these two towers. Maybe they get that info. Yeah. Maybe. Well, you also did yeah. something interesting where it was like, you know, the one of the characters does, in fact, call the cops. And then yeah. when the cops showed up, you know, it was the they weren't there to help. They were just like there to 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 scare everybody off so that they could then rob the place of like all of its riches. They were just they they weren't there to actually like do any like serving and protecting. They were just like, yeah, we're the police. Get out of here. And then like, you know, they were just like, OK, I want that and I want that. You know what I mean? Like, that's the kind of, that's subverting the trope. So it's great that you can do stuff like that because you think, oh, here come the cops. They're going to help people. And then the cops are no help at all. So, no. like. And that's okay. Cause, and then they get eaten. Yeah. Um, like you do. Yeah. There's people getting eaten in the desert. That's That was the big problem. Yeah. No, you can definitely subvert it or you can kind of like own up to it. But I think, I think, I think you're right though. Like visually the little like hunched down looking at a little screen isn't really cinematic, but we've gotten some interesting kind of workarounds, you know, Sherlock did it, what, 10, 10 plus years ago with, you know, putting the text messages directly on the screen. Yeah. You Sherlock know? is really great at showing the electronic things because there's so many things. And that's one of the w things that I really wanted to show because when I was doing, as I'm doing this movie about electronic dating and that because most of the movies, they do that. They, I think they'll like, you know, they'll get annoyed it, or audiences will get annoyed if they're looking at things. Because when you first start, when you're doing like online dating, a lot of that starts via app and chatting and things like that. So all of that stuff has to, is mostly electronic. And I wanted to show that sort of progression where you go from electronic dating to like meeting in person, like the escalation of it and how that works. But there are a lot of that has to start with like sort of this background of, you know, Screen. of, yeah. yeah, screens. And so to do that, I like, I really had to lean into it. And so I just had to make sure that aesthetic worked and I think I cheated a little bit. <laughs> I cheated a little bit where I was like, I, I had the characters sort of do everything backwards so that I could do that progression so that I would, you could use it as an escalation tool for the, for the, for the climax. So I just, I always cheat. If I have, that's the thing. If I have to do something, I'm always going to cheat. If I have to include something or whatever like that, and I feel like it's going to be boring, I always make sure I can just cheat it in. 
So, you know, there's a way to do it. I, I'm like the king of cheating, I feel like. I'm king of single-mad cheating. I just, I do it all the time. Like, I just come up with it. I'm just like the, I'm the Jimmy McGill of cinematic <laughs> <laughs> That's a really interesting take, because I'm thinking, if I see a screen of, hi, what's up? You know, you're, you're having the conversation just in screen. Right. I have information, if I'm participating in that conversation, that the audience doesn't have. Because right. I know I'm laughing. I know what my facial expressions are. I know how those texts are making me feel. And usually we look to people's faces to get those clues. How are they feeling when they're reading these messages? So are you just statically putting words on the screen because that's how it looks? Or are you cutting in their facial responses and their reactions? Again, I cheated. I had the screen. I had <laughs> I have the face, the 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 text going up on as uh, it's going across the actors. Like you're seeing from the oh. inside of the screen, you're seeing the actor's face as they are typing, and you're going to so you get to see them reacting. And also, I'm using a voiceover at the same time. So I cheated a lot. I'm just. That sounds awesome. Yeah, that's how you do it. You got to cheat. So I, I... I mean, I don't think it's called cheating, Rob. I think it's just called filmmaking problem solving. Yeah, I just, you know, because I just, I don't want to be boring. But at the same time, I also don't want, I wanted to get the point across because there is a certain reality to it. But I didn't want to step out of that reality. And I, so I had to use the rest of the movie to sort of set up to that sequence. And it's currently my favorite. I'm, I have to fight with my wife this weekend on how to... How to uh, <laughs> how to not screw it up? Yeah. But I don't necessarily like even in that sort of that horror movie sense. I feel like there are ways to do it. Like you can always I like I constantly still in 2023 run into dead zones where there's just no signal. Yeah. It's perfectly modern. So for me, it doesn't bother me to just be like, hey, there's no signal out here. And for things like like you were talking about, K talks about like your scripts. If you're out in the desert. I, that's not going to bother me if you're just like, it, there's no signal because we're in the desert. Yeah. But let's, uh, here's something that I want Pam's opinion on. We got charges coming again, pretend, uh, potentially for Alec Baldwin on Rust. The prosecutors have alleged that they might be recharging him for the death of Helena Hutchins. They alleged this week that Hannah Gutierrez-Reed was hungover from weed and alcohol on the day that that Helena Hutchins was shot and killed on the set of Rust. And I'm just like, this this case that has <laughs> it never ends. It's got twists and turns. Okay, I just so it's crazy. I didn't read it, so I'm just gonna go by by what you're saying here. So now they're saying that the producer is criminally liable because mm -hmm. one of his staff was hung over. Yes. From drinking alcohol not during work yeah no not during work after work they were saying that the potentially they're trying to paint as if she did it to ex excess okay. on on off yeah on <laughs> on after so work hours during after drinking work hours. and taking a substance and i'm not sure if marijuana is legal or illegal there yeah um, i don't know if it is in albuquerque i don't know but regardless whether it is or not, she's not doing it during working hours. She's not doing it on the job. He has no control over her personal behavior. I mean, if it was she was tired because she, you know, stayed at her relative's house the night before and had an extra long commute, would he be responsible for that? I, yeah, or if, if she wasn't feeling, I mean, one could easily just right. not be feeling good that day as well. Like maybe, you know. Right, she, she had, had a fever. 
Yeah, fever, she yeah. had diarrhea. Would she be? Would they? Would Alec Baldwin be responsible for that? Like, come on, man! Like that's so. That's... I'd, I'd be very curious to see how they're going to tie it to him, because, I mean, negligence, which is what it's going to have to be, because I can't imagine they would try to do it as intentional. Would have to show that he was somehow disregarding the the safety of the set, unless they had some sort of a hiring policy that said. Everybody has to be like sober. Not, yeah, like call in sick or whatever. Like, yeah, I, I, I just I doubt that that was a thing. Yeah, being hungover, unless she was impaired, right? Because there's a hangover, like, oh, I don't feel good. My body's metabolizing this alcohol and it sucks. And then there's, I have drank so much that I'm still intoxicated from last night. I don't know. I think that's what they're trying to imply or trying to allege, but I, I that that wasn't made it clear. But her lawyer did was quick to come back and was just like, "This is a clear character assassination. This is some bullshit." And they they they, they were talking about her de, defense lawyer was talking about how they had mis the prosecutors had mishandled the case, and that serves to be that, that seems to be from the history of this case. It, it does seem to be not done very well well uh, i'll tell you a little prosecutor trick because i was a prosecutor in new york at, when i was a baby lawyer and again i don't know if it's the same in every state but you don't need a breathalyzer or a blood press test or any scientific evidence to prove somebody was drunk because uh -huh. that is capable of what they call layperson's observation so, oh, so okay. that means if they can pull together a couple of uh, crew members yeah. that say definitely the smell of alcohol was coming off of her. Her eyes were bloodshot. She was slurring her words. She wasn't steady on her feet. The the way you qualify them as under, like, have you been to social situations where people have been drinking alcohol? Right. Did her behavior seem similar to those people? And any of us can do it. Any of us who've ever been in a bar or at a party where alcohol is served and consumed can say, yeah, it was comparable to that. It was comparable to New Year's Eve at 3 a.m. drunk. Wow. It was, you know, That's or it was drunk. comparable to, you know, my uncle at the back backyard barbecue drunk. So if if they've got that kind of evidence, but then again, this is where character assassination comes in, right? If she's tired, maybe she's not focusing correctly. Maybe right. she's got really bad allergies and that's why her eyes are red. When when you take take it on people's word, then you've got to trust that those people are are honestly motivated to tell the truth. Right. What do they what what are they uh, you know, what are their motivations in order to to yeah. to speak out to, to that sort of thing? Yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff going on, but depending on what it is, like the the way things are I guess gonna pan out, they set a trial date. But they haven't yet decided to give charges to Alec Baldwin, but they they haven't ruled it out either. So we'll continue to follow this story as it continues to change. But we started off with the the expertise of Pam, who is amazing, and I've had Pam. Pam has saved me from a bunch of stuff, like even up to like including stuff on this podcast where we've had certain. Deals come through and folks have asked us, like, you know, would you like to get a sponsorship deal? And that's the thing to Pam. And Pam was, she sent me, like, the greatest note. She was like, first, no. Second, <laughs> no. Third, this was not written by a lawyer. Third, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> Fourth, no. Oh, God. Did not Five, pass do not the do this. test. Yeah. yeah. 
Yes. And in conclusion, also no. Yeah. So I was like, all right. Uh, I love because that's one of my favorite things is like to send people like be like, I cannot engage in this deal on advice from my lawyer. <laughs> send. Yeah. Like that's my favorite thing to do. Be like, I'm not doing it. My lawyer said not to do it. It's not my fault, man. You just screwed up. Like, you know, it's not my fault that your stuff doesn't pass the smell test. So but Pam, let's I want to ask, how did you get into this business that we call show? All right. How far back do you want to go? I mean, um, that's up to you. Because here's the thing. I think that all writers are readers, right? Yep. I mean, if, and, I mean, I'd like to see the exception to the rule, but for the most part, you're a pretty prolific reader, which kind of inspires how to be a writer. And it puts puts writing tips into your bones. So I would say like forever. I learned how to read before kindergarten because I was kind of a high energy kid and my mom figured out a way to like get me to sit still was teaching me how to read. So I could be there at four years old reading my little colored book or picture book and be be still and incompetent. I, I got good at it. I mean, when I was 10, I, I was getting recognized when I was in high school. Like, so I just kept writing because I kept getting positive responses to it, you know, through high school, through college. And I, you know, I don't know how, how come screenwriting came to the fore. When I was in college, I took everything. I took drama, I took poetry, playwriting, novel writing, screenwriting. I took them all. And I think the best, the best grade I actually got was in playwriting. Okay. There, a plus from a name you might even recognize, which is Ari Roth, who is a big theater guy down here in DC. Mm. Um, sometimes controversial, always interesting. Um, but he was my professor at the University of Michigan at that time. And then I got this award for my screenplay my senior year in college. And I don't know, something about the writing process for that felt a lot more natural than than the the hard, hard work of writing a play for the state. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I get I get stump. I get I get sort of when I think about writing a play, because I always think about the work of like having to work around a singular set, mm -hmm. like that sort of thing. For me, like indie film works because I can stop and start or or mm -hmm. cheat. You know, there are ways for me to cheat, but there, but doing a play, like I'm there, you're out on display, and I'm always like, where? How do I? Do I? Oh, I just don't think I know enough. I think I would have to like immerse myself in, into it. But I just like I, I I've I've never been. I can't do it. It's just something something about it. I, I think I've written maybe one play. One maybe. thing that I also developed over time, I mean, you know this, Rob, but I'll just tell everybody else, is I've spent a lot of time training for comedy at Washington Improv Theater, at DC Improv, at the Magnet in New York, even uh, during COVID at the Groundlings <laughs> through Zoom. The Annoyance Theater had an, a New York City branch and I was taking the train up there. Like at 7 a.m. on a, a Saturday or Sunday morning, I'd be taking the train to make my two o'clock class in New York City or taking that god-awful $25 bus. Yeah. To make these classes for Annoyance. Chinatown bus. I um, love it. Yeah. So the thing that I came to realize is when you study, especially improv, which is the art of making it up, most of the time... Me, my fellow performers, my classmates, we could improvise a better stage play than I could ever write. Like, these guys just fooling around with one random suggestion from the audience were coming up with way more dynamic, engaging things 
than I could ever sit down and plot out, you know, for a stage play. And the audience is willing to imagine the set. So right. you don't even have to like plan, design, and hire somebody to execute a set design for you. Yeah, it can um, get very our town. But I think in the terms of comedy, like, you know, people just, they're, yeah. they accept it because, you know, people were willing to accept a lot in terms of laughing. I think, uh, like, you know, you do a lot of that. You were co- where sort of comedy lends itself to that, where people are mimicking things that aren't there. If you've ever mm-hmm. watched like stand up, you know, like where people are one of my favorite is 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 Eddie during Eddie Murphy Raw, where he's like this yep. he's doing this whole routine about this woman who goes on vacation. She meets a yep. guy in the Caribbean and yep. Eddie is swinging the mic around mm-hmm. as if he's like, you know, this well hung dude and stuff like that. And I laugh every time, but it's just it's one of those things where, you know, the that the comedy sort of lends itself to that kind of performance. But I think yeah. you're right. Yeah, so that's why I'm not writing plays. <laughs> and screen, I, I started to kind of think in screenplays, mm-hmm. you know, and you probably do this too, where you see something and you're like, instead of taking in what you're seeing, like, look at that beautiful mountain vista, you're like, oh, how would I shoot that? Yep. You know, if you've ever, like, I once pulled over on a road, like, oh, my God, it's snowing so heavy. I'm going to pull over and get some B-roll. Like, <laughs> What what I should be doing is driving home to safety. Right. But, you know, I, I start to to think in, in those terms. Well, I always do that when, like, terms of the moon and stuff like that, where I see where an interesting cloud cover over the moon, and I'm always like, I should be shooting this for B-roll so I can just insert this into a movie. That kind of stuff happens all the time. But when did becoming a lawyer come into that? Like, where did that come from? Like, All right, so what happened was... Um, <laughs> I, I mean, from a pretty young age, I, I was doing really well with writing, but also a, a friend of my, my family had gotten me some law books because, you know, I was 12 and he figured, you know, it's time yep. to work upon your career. And I really was taken by the, the two books. In fact, I just sent the same, those same books to my nephew who tells me he wants to be a lawyer like me. So we'll see if these books grab him. So I, I got caught by that bug a bit early. And then I went to college. Did I mention it was the University of Michigan? I love mentioning that I went to the University of Michigan. (laughs) Like my favorite place in the world is Ann Arbor. And my senior year, I was getting a lot of recognition for my writing. And I thought, you know, I spent the past four years planning on taking the LSAT and going to law school. What if I just throw it all away and just go apply for an MFA? and get an MFA in screenwriting and just take this in a totally different direction. And then I thought about the cost of getting an MFA (laughs) and the job opportunities that would be coming my way after I had a master in fine arts of screenwriting versus the cost of law school and whether I would make that money back as a lawyer. And I took the coward's way out. You know, I, I went to law school. I think you right now, K Tuxford is dying a little bit inside because that that is <laughs> K K is the the one of the two of us who has a, a master of fine arts in uh, in well, screenwriting. I know. I I mean, like, I was, no, I'm I'm happy I did it, and I'm happy you did what was right for you. I I don't feel it's for everybody, and but but the debt I, is real. The debt is real, and I wanted to teach, so that's then I'm, you know, I think I think if you're gonna get an MFA, especially in arts, like it'd be good to know what 
you're going to actually use it for. And so for me, I knew I wanted to teach and I, now I teach screenwriting. So like I'm, I, I did the thing. I'm not, a, I'm not reeling too much from the debt. Like I'll, I'll live, but she's probably got a better financial plan to pay back law school. Definitely. by being a lawyer. So this smart. Yeah. It's just keep paying until I die. Yeah. That's yeah. Hey, I do the same Solid plan. Solid yeah. plan. But I just didn't have the confidence, you know, when like looking at it, like, okay, so I got this one writing award and one A plus. Am I really now going to devote myself to doing this full time and, and, and take my chances that I can make a living off of it? Like, I don't know. I, I was too risk averse. But, you know, I, I am glad, I am glad that you went to law school because now you have the ability to interpret words, because I've read these contracts coming over there, and I, and I always like send them over to you and be like, this paragraph is bothering me, and Pam always translates. So I thought we would have Pam translate sure. some of the, the the tricky paragraphs that I have gotten. The first one is, is, is a paragraph that we redrafted in a contract where it, well, it reads, development, first opportunity. Companies shall have the right during the option period to cause to be written treatments, screenplays, teleplays, revisions, polishes, outlines, and other material based in whole or in part of the property, and generally to engage in any and all development and or pre-production activities in respect of the property and event. The company wishes to engage a writer in connection with a rewrite and or polish of property. Owner shall have the first opportunity to render such writing services if any on terms to be negotiated in good faith. When company exercises the option, company shall own and owner shall have no right, title, or interest into any such treatments, screenplays, teleplays, outlines, or other material created or developed by company or at company's request. Copyright remains with owner until the option is either exercised or expired. What? So here's what I <laughs> I don't know if you can see this. Oh, you marked it up. Yeah. So, and I guess you can't really see how I marked it up. But the first thing I do is I pick out, because there's a ton of words in here yep. that you can just cross off. Okay. It's like one of the first, <laughs> one of the first things that, that you learn in law school, right? When there's a, a big string of words separated by a comma and an and and an or, yep. I circle the and and or the or, and I cross out the rest of them because I'm going to deal with them later. So it's like treatment, screenplay, telephone, revisions polishes, outlines, other material. I cross all that stuff out. But then I kind of focus on based in whole or in part on the property. Why? Because now we're talking about something more. And the things that I see from you mostly, Rob, they're too broad, they're too vague, or they're filled with these like, if then apples and oranges kind of things. Yep. You know, if we exercise the option, then you have to walk my dog. It's like, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, and I think a, a lot of those things are are done on purpose so that they can so that someone can drive a hole through that thing. If you like, you know, in terms of you know, all of these contracts, I feel like are out to casually screw you. I don't think that they they do it on purpose. They're just they're written in the language so that it's like if you don't have someone who can translate, they're just going to screw you, like and just do it because it benefits them. Why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't you do that? Like that's why you have lawyers. I think half of the people that are using these, especially if they're in independent film, they're just grabbing these things off the internet, cutting and pasting it and saying, here's my contract. 
And if you push back on some of these things, I don't think they could explain it back to you. Because what they're saying is during the option period, they can have somebody basically write a prequel based on your characters and there's nothing you can do about it. Right. You know, it's it's super broad because it says based in whole or in part. So that does that's way beyond revisions. You mm-hmm. know, we're gonna take one character and put them in a porno and there's nothing you can do about it. Like <laughs> right. So that would be based in part on your work. I think uh Kate Tucker would say like, you know, some of my work is probably not that far from that anyway. So there you go. But you but, still want to decide. You would get that, yeah, you get to decide. That's the difference. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if, if you write the next, you know, Marvel hero and Marvel wants an option on it, but some other like lesser known company wants an option on it, this contract that you send me could put your next Marvel superhero in a porn movie and then they would never get to Marvel. <laughs> like, so these these kind of vague, we can do anything we want during the option period without really defining the boundaries I, I kind of don't like, especially like, okay, we can hire somebody, but we're going to let you have the first opportunity to be the writer, right. but anything you write belongs to us. Right. So that's a little tricky thing here because copyright law is real specific and this arrangement is kind of muddy. So if they say to you, during the option period, anything new that you write, we we decide we want you to write three more episodes right. during this period. But then we own those episodes. You still own the pilot, but we own the next three episodes is not how that works. Because I still own the original copyright. Right. Well, that and that's the thing. And we'll get to that because we have the, the thing on ownership as well. But if you write it, the minute you write it down, the, the the rule for copyright is the minute it is fixed in a tangible medium of expression, the voice is recorded. The like what we're doing right now. Right. That sentence I just said, copyrighted, because it's been recorded. Right. <laughs> you know? Although it's your copyright because it's your podcast. Just like actors don't own the copyright to their acting. You're the one recording it, you're the one who owns the copyright. Right. So you you can't make somebody agree to something that's not an existing right in law. <laughs> and the thing is like this. Some of these things I wouldn't even correct because if if you wanted to walk away from this and be like, no, sorry, I own my own copyright, sue me. Right. The odds are good they're not going to get a lawyer willing to sue on this poorly drafted, vague and confusing document. Right. And that if they actually had a lawyer writing this document, pretty sure that lawyer is, is not the caliber of lawyer that could defend it in court. And they'll probably say, oh, I'm just a contracts guy. You know, you got to get hire somebody else for your court work. Mm. Right. So like, that's definitely one of the things that I wanted to get to with the with the second one, because this one is one of my favorite clauses. I see it all the time to acquire all right title and interest in and to the property, including not less than copyright therein and thereto all the rights of renewal and extension of copyright and not less than the following exclusive and irrevocable rights in and to the property, including the title and characters of the property and perpetuity throughout the universe and all languages collectively the rights um, well i'll tell you um <laughs> well I'll, I'll i'll tell your audience what i told you 
which is, first of all, that's not a thing, right? Copyright does not last forever. Copyright has certain time limited, time limited parameters, and then things go in the public domain. Right. Now, if this is a little too lawyery, you can stop me, but the whole reason we have copyright, right? Which by the way, is in the constitution, the United States provides for copyright. Why? Because they want art and they want performance and they, they want written works and they want to promote that. So they're going to give you copyright so you can make money off your writing. But they also want to keep it going. So they give you a limited time for your copyright, after which it falls into the public domain and others can use it and they can learn from it and they can build upon it. Same with trademark, same with patent. That's just the way it is. So there's absolutely no time in perpetuity ever, right? It's it's life plus 50 years for the author. It's 75 years for a work for hire. And there's just no such thing. It's it's a garbage provision. Um, and most of the time, they have, they have a, a clause at the end that says, if any one of these clauses in this, in this document is stricken down by law, the rest of the, the contract is still in effect. Why? Because they put crap like this in it that would defeat the whole contract. Right. And like we talked about, I mean, throughout the universe, okay, I tell you what, if Rob wants to go to the moon and he wants to write a sequel to this thing in violation of this agreement, Good luck getting a lawyer on the moon to sue him. <laughs> so I'm so not necessarily that. against a, a, a lunar uh, move, you know, like that's, you know, I hear, price, uh, you know, land up there is pretty cheap. Here's this final one. Both parties shall jointly own copyright to the project. Nope. Let me stop you there. Yep. Okay. <laughs> yeah. See, this is like nope, nope.com, negative, nine, nix, every language that I can possibly think of, this is a no. If yeah, both I, parties did not contribute to the work, then they are not joint copyright holders. So, like, that's a thing. Joint copyright is a thing. If I've got my screenplay and you've got yours and we're like, you know, there's a great synergy here. Why don't we combine them into one? Joint copyright. Right. We combined our individually copyrightable works into one whole cohesive work that we're both contributing to that we want to share joint copyright. Or in the case of a writer's team, you know, if they both wrote, like, yeah. wrote equal on mm-hmm. the project, then, yeah. you know, then you can have a joint copyright. That's, you know, right. obviously yeah. like to do that. But in this case, where we got it, it was something where someone was trying to get copyright on a project that they hadn't contributed to. It was a spec and they wanted it before they had, they could A, pay any money or B, before they had given me anything, like they hadn't contributed anything to the project. So for that, it was just like, that's yeah. like you said, no, but is, yeah. It, is it, is it, do you think it's like a confusion that they think they have to have copyright on the script in order to make the movie? Is that? No, it's greed. Okay. You know, well, that's number funny. one, they want to like, get royalties. Yes. <laughs> right. Like, and and you might know this better than me, even if, if you're in LA, but like royalties is tied to that story and screenwriting credit. Yes. Yes. So if you want to be credited as a screenwriter, this is a good way to to lock that in saying, hey, we're joint copyright holders. We're both the owners of Writers. this screenplay. And therefore, 
I get writer credit and therefore I get royalties. And here's the thing though, and there's a little wiggle room. If this was the only bad provision in an otherwise good contract, I'd say do it because they're not looking at the flip side of that. The flip side of that is if you both jointly own the right, then while they're messing around trying to get you a deal, you can sell the sequel to somebody else. Wow. Because right? joint copyright owners have full rights in the copyrighted property, which is why people get in colossal fights <laughs> over this stuff. So <laughs> one of the, the joint owners could, could say yeah to that, even if the other one says no. If you've got equal rights to the copyright, so it can hurt the, the other party to this contract too. Even though the idea is is to benefit them off of your work, right? You, you can also do some retaliatory mischief with it. Oh, okay. You're the you, you want to do this? You want to screw me on this deal? Well, I'm selling this property to whoever to, right. to make a mess out of it. You know, the I just want to know what kind of languages and phrases should should ping our writer's spider sense when you're getting a contract. What kind of things are you just like? You know, because I'll look at something, I'll just, I'll see something, and I'll be like, I don't like this. Right. I, like, you know, and then immediately where you feel like, where, if you see something in a contract, be like, this is where I need someone to interpret. What kind of language did you like that? I would say, so my top one is if it's vague, right? Mm -hmm. if, if the language of it is not real specific to this project, and I don't mean like we're going to refer to you as the writer, them as the producer, and this is the, the work. I mean, stuff is vague, like it, it's open to a lot of different interpretations. Like it's this property, it's this screenplay alone, or it's could possibly be read as anything that I write for, for the year of that time period. <laughs> you know, like if, if you're reading it and you think this isn't specific enough, they could, I'll, I'll give you an example. I, I was asked to sign a photographic waiver Mm -hmm. That during the 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 week that I was at this school, that they could take my photograph at any time in any place during the week. Right. And I said, uh, no, thank you. I don't think I will. And here's why. Because at any time in any place is my 7 a.m. shower. Right. It's It's too vague. It doesn't say in the school building, on the school grounds, in the classroom. It just says at any time or place during the week that I'm at this school, you can take pictures of me and oh, don't be such a lawyer about it. I'm like, I'm going to be a lawyer about it because if you've got a webcam in my bathroom, I just agreed to let you use it. So vague language. That's, that's yep. number one. And here's another trick to look out for. If a, if a single paragraph contains more than one topic, they're trying mm. to trick you or hide something, mm. right? A paragraph should go with whatever that first sentence of the paragraph says. Right. Everybody learned this in composition in the third grade. It's their topic sentence. Right. Yeah. Usually they start with like a like a like an overall thing, like right. ownership or right. you know, development, you know, like that sort of thing. Like it comes out. It's like this is the headline and then underneath is the paragraph of what it is. So you're saying if it's things go beyond that headline, yeah, then they're trying to hide something within the language. Yep. Be very careful about that because it'll that's where you're going to find your but, or if then, or your apples and oranges. So, and that's something that you don't really need a lawyer for. It's like, well, wait a minute, this paragraph I thought was talking about 
ownership of the copyright, but it's also actually talking about, you know, extending the the timeline of the deal. No, that should be in a separate pair. Like, and what it tells you is either number one, the person's trying to hide something. Number two, they don't know what they're doing when they drafted it. Or number three, they cut and pasted it from somebody else and just screwed it up. Either way, I, I would not be super confident in signing something like that where it's just, you know, things are, are added on almost like an afterthought. Oh, I had meant to mention that. I'll just tack it on here. If it's sloppy or if it's intentional, it's just not a good, not a good deal for you. And I'm never going to let you enter into a not good deal for you. Well, I appreciate that, Pam. So Kate Tuxford, we have our signature questions that we ask here on this podcast. Yes. You weren't here yes, for them last week, but that's fine. You know, that's Well, you know. I was like, oh, you guys got Julia. She's adorable. So I gave you like like a, a fluffy teddy bear of a person <laughs> in my place. So you you're guys gonna, you're gonna you're gonna use that as an excuse for shirking your duties, Kate Tuck. I was also on set and we did get it done in time. It was like a 72 hour film fest. So you had to complete it in that time. So the question we're gonna ask Pam is do you like writing? Do I like writing? Do you like it? I love it, yeah. We have a few people who like having written, but not the writing so much, yeah, which is so, understandable. Okay. But yeah, considering I'm, her background, I think I believe her when she says Yeah, because she did. She, she, she very much is, is, seems to be a fan of writing. I'm very, I'm very much like agree. I, I very, grew up like writing and stuff like that. And then sort of discovering that, you know, you could do writing of your own. And then I became that kid who would stop homework and write in a composition book they're just my homework would be like be like there'll be a break of like four or five pages of a spider-man short story and then the math would continue like four or five pages later that was me pretty <laughs> i too got known as a notebook kid at school like yeah look look pam showing off her yeah a little notebook right there five star yeah. i dig it I can, oh, I, it is a five star. Sorry, my my bad. Yeah, but it's the uh, tiny one. See, pen. Yeah. No, I like that. I like those. Those are the gorgeous those ones. Those are I, nice. Yeah, yeah, I have a blue one like that. It's great. Yeah, so I think we all were notebook kids. I was. People are like, oh, in class, when you know you finished your homework, you took out your notebook and you started writing in it. You know, and you become very mysterious that way. So I guess I guess that's just you know it's your sign. Rob, let's do our other signature question. Yes. Okay. This one's for all the marbles, Pam. We're, we're gonna. I'm gonna ask you, and and I don't. I don't know this one, but I'm. I'm. I'm hoping that you're gonna be Team Rob on this one. Are you a outliner or are you a pantser? You know, that's a really funny question, Rob. Okay. I'm trying to be better. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Just, just yes. for our listeners, Pam is holding up her vomit draft handwritings. Uh, yes, handwriting that's amazing. Yes, which which we are big fans of here. Rob um, told me about that. And I'm mostly a pantser, but I know the value of stru story structure and outline. Rob and I have talked about this um, yep. in our writing group, that not understanding your protagonist, not understanding what your protagonist wants is why these films are, you know, second and third place in the screenwriting contest and never get produced. Because you've got some great elements, but your story doesn't come together. Yeah. I like to say that, well, it's in my bones. I mean, I've studied Lego uh, Agri and I've studied 
Aristotle and I've studied Lou Hunter and everybody else. And so therefore it's in my bones, but no, it's not. I'm trying very hard <laughs> to become a more structured writer. I'm going to go team pants. That's team pants for yeah. Rob. Yeah. Wow. I'll win this one. I knew I uh, loved Pam. She's I feel like so you bribed Pam ahead of time. You're like, our friends Oh, man. This is just like, an episode where I just feel like I won the whole time. I was just, no, I'm just winning this entire episode. It's been great. Listen, there are many good outliners we have interviewed. And we, when you guys get stuck in your story, we're here to hug it out with you because that's why we don't. Well, that brings us to our next thing. What are we watching, consuming, writing? Because I restarted Severance, and the writer of Severance revealed that he is very much a pantser. He is uh, a pantser. Uh, so the writer of Severance is also Team Pants. This uh, episode keeps getting better. Team Pants for Severance. Rob is in the second viewing of it. Love, 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 love Severance. Super fun. Still reading Gerald's game, kind of. Hmm. Uh, I haven't been able to get much on it, but that'll change as I head into the weekend. But I also wrote a scene from a script that I wanted to do a long time for a long time. I I I could literally couldn't wait to write it. I was I was on the track and I was getting my run on, and then I got and I started thinking, and the blood was pumping, and then I was like, "Ooh, this is this." Oh man! And that you, you ever do that thing where you're trying to like do writing? juggling or you're trying to continue to think more about something even though you want to write something because you have to finish something else and you don't want to lose the details of yeah. the thing that you're writing so I was doing that like mentally trying to finish up my last lap on the track and then I literally sat at the bench at the end of the track and just sat there for an hour and just wrote in my phone so mm -hmm. I, I I did that that was that was pretty good that was a that was a decent writing session so what about you, Pam? What are you watching, consuming, writing this week? Okay, so we just finished Ted Lasso. Right on. So big fan of that, but I waited. I'll, I'll tell you offline, but my, my partner was away traveling for humanitarian missions, so I did not watch any Ted Lasso while he was away because I'm cool like that. So <laughs> so we just finished it uh, yeah, together. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a fireball that's true love relationship. Right there. Yeah. I know it's a big sacrifice. What am I reading? I'm in this phase. Like, do you get in reading phases where you like consume like a certain type of read writing? Yep. Oh yeah. So I'm in this phase. I just finished a book called After Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, which is oh, a yeah. different take and a behind behind the scenes kind of take on you know Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, the story of the murder of Danny Hansford. And the person who was accused of killing him, Jim Williams. This is all about the killer. All about Jim Williams, his background, his upbringing. Some historical information about uh, the person who got killed. And a ton of quotes out of the trial of who testified to what and who said what. And I just finished that. And my next one that I bought, and you can guess what it's the behind the scenes of. The title of it is Leave the Gun, Take the Cannoli. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so nice. it got me because it's like, oh, you might like this book. You know, thanks, Amazon. But they said that at the beginning, the Colombo crime family tried to shut down the production of The Godfather mm -hmm. because it would make Italian-Americans look bad. <laughs> it would make them look like you, Joe. Like, 
<laughs> you just didn't want the Americans. I don't, to know I, well, I don't think he like understood like how. Well, I think it eventually it did the opposite. You know what I mean? It very, it very much looks, especially Godfather Part Two, where like you know you have the Corleones like testifying in front of Congress, and they come off, and Congress comes out looking ineffectual, and the <laughs> the Corleones look, look godlike, like they just walk away. And it had think, nothing to do with it. It was the brothers, Kay. It was the brothers. They don't want... Well, at first, apparently, he did not want America to look at Italian-Americans as all gangsters. Right. But somehow, which was teased on the back of the book, he comes around to becoming a supporter. So that's kind of the hook. Mm. How, how did this movie get get the um, crime families to be supporters? Or Anyway... I've only read a couple of pages of it. I can report back. What am I writing? So tell me if you can relate to this. I've I've been writing a, a long form kind of based on true facts, but not not fully a, a biography or autobiography or memoir because there's stuff I don't remember. I had to make it up. But this screenplay keeps nagging me. So I'm carrying around my vomit draft. Yes. <laughs> And writing that those things, it's like I, I'm sitting here to concentrate on writing a section of this book. And what is happening is I just get the, the most brilliant idea for like the opening shot and the closing shot and the great synergy between those two things. So now I have this whole diagram on this page here about what I want the opening and closing shot to look like of a screenplay that is not related to what I'm working on now. <laughs> This is this is like Rob and his math homework with the Spider-Man short story yeah. sandwiched in between. I think I think the brain like it never fails when my brain I'm like okay we have to sit down and do work and my brain goes but wouldn't this be fun mm -hmm. the other thing that isn't work in your mind right now mm -hmm. and like it it becomes very alluring uh, mm -hmm. right right now for me it's just playing Zelda but you know every time <laughs> I sit down and write my brain goes don't you want to be playing Tears of the Kingdom but I've had that for writing as well and I my my producing partner Julia just pulled that on me last week she was just to turn in some pages to me uh, to proofread and instead she gave me eight pages of a brand new story and I was like well what 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 is this and she's like i don't know i was supposed to sit down and write one thing and this came out so mm -hmm. we need a term for that rob what do you think or pam do you guys have any idea of what we should call it um shiny crastination shiny crastination is pretty good yeah i was thinking like something on bateman switch but i think shiny crastination is good yeah, i'm gonna so start calling it math homework Math homework. Yeah. Math homework. Yeah, yeah, I was just doing math homework. I'm like, yep, yep. Because yeah. you just, you know, you start in the middle of it. You're just like, ah, this is boring. And then you start, <laughs> you start writing something else. Yeah. What? I'm supposed to be writing this? I don't want to do that now. You know. There has to be a name for that phenomenon, though. You're right. I mean, it. I well, guess it's fairly common. The, Jordan Peele calls it following the fun. Because... Mm. He, you know, when they were talking about writing, he was talking about how writing was really fun, but like he sort of wrote Get Out in that, well, let me, you know, discuss all of the rules of a secret society. You know, what is this bingo game all about? What is this, you know, uh, what are, how is the, the science work on this whole brain thing? You know, like he would do that and let that sort of, backtrack those thoughts backtrack to what he was actually writing in order to make what he was writing actually fun 
And so that's, you know, I, I, I sort of do the same thing, you know, the way you try to, you know, you come through the back door of like this, these are things that I'm actually interested in thinking about instead of actually doing the actual work. And then you just sort of like, Oh, and then immediately. Wouldn't it be fun if, yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't it be fun if, yeah. And he's, thinks he's meeting the girl's parents so wouldn't it be fun if yeah exactly yeah follow the fun follow the fun that's not a bad so, it's not a bad way to be why don't you do the song kate Tuxford? yeah oh, oh yeah so i'm reading burn it down by maureen ryan i think most of the industry is reading it right now so yep. i feel like i'm in a group book club i just made it to the infamous lost chapter and even though i read the vanity fair article a week or two before it still gets my blood boiling and there's some extra details and especially because uh, screenwriting Twitter's beloved hobby yep. is in the book. Girl, what is it? Girl Marks? Yeah, yeah Girl he, Marks. Yeah, yeah. He, you know, you just, you just—he's such a great creator. And they—they they didn't talk about how you know they were making somebody like Javi, Puerto Rican, essentially right and belittle like the only Latin character in the entire show. And you know that just—I just must have sucked. You know, also. So sad that, you know, that I love that character. But yeah, so I feel like it's it's good to kind of be a reminder. One thing that's nice about the book that I'm reading is she is pointing out some pretty awful incidences, but she's also highlighting really good sets and projects where things did, because her whole argument is like, it doesn't have to be this way, right? Right. You know, she's really going and saying, you don't have to suffer and be an asshole for art. And so, which I think is good for people to know. I try to tell my students all the time, like, your suffering will not make the script better. You sitting down and writing pages and giving it an earnest try is the best thing you can do for your script. But I know people who go, oh, I suffered for the script. I stayed up late at night. I tortured myself. I, you know, I did X, Y, Z. So it must be good. No, no, there's no must. It may, well, may not be Pam knows yeah. this about me. I don't like to fight on my sets or get into like things with people. I don't like to have like I, when I'm on set, I'm in my my fun place. I'm yeah. that is that is for me. That is the place where I'm trying to get back to all the time. I don't want it to be stressful. I don't want it to be like you know uh, adversarial in any way, shape, or form. So you know, I don't have any screaming on my set. I don't have. I don't get into fights. I don't yell at people. I don't. Because I'm like, if you don't want to be here, please go. Like, what? Why am I yelling at you? What's right. the What's the point of that? We all yeah. want to be here to, to to be artists. This is an artist safe space. Like, why Why did what I invent a space where I come and I want you to be an artistic person to to for you to practice your craft and then scream at you? That is literally the opposite of what I want. This is fun. This is what we all want to do. This is the apex of that. I'm not going to screw that up by having a fight with someone. So for me, like this, this whole thing of like this culture, and I feel like it would be for me the same thing in a writer's room. I haven't had a writer's room yet, but like, I, why am I screaming at you about, didn't, aren't we all getting paid to be here? Aren't we all wanting to do the writing? Isn't this what it's all about? Why am I being an asshole? Yeah, and I think when I was reading the Lost article, the, I mean, the Lost chapter in here, you know, and this was also in the Vanity Fair article, but they basically punished a writer for writing a good, co-writing a good script that right. uh, Lindelof and Coos had nothing to do with to the point where they denied her another script in that season, which, by the way, 
having your name on the script and you being in charge of the script is how you get, you know, you're paid. And so they were really just cutting her out of tens of thousands of dollars just because they were mad at her. I I couldn't, I, I sat there and it just, I thought about it again. And I was like, if I was a showrunner and I was writing, you know, round the clock and a lot of stress and a lot of pressure. And one of my writers wrote something people fell in love with. I bring in a fucking cake. I'd be like, I'd be like, I'm so proud of you. You made us all look good. We're going to more likely get renewed. You know, you, you're everybody around here owes you huge thanks for making it work. And of course, many of these scripts, everybody put in a little bit. So like cake for everybody. Right. And so, you know, especially in a sense where if you get, when a person writes like that good, you know, the showrunner is going to get most of the credit anyway. Like the and individual episode, yeah. of course, but they're, you know, even everybody can see like, you know, that person is writing it under that show. You're not going to lack for any credit. So for me, that's just so petty. It's, it's so, so petty. It's so, it's so petty. Like and and, and it, it really, you know, it, it really, it, again, the, the whole thing Maureen keeps pointing out is she's like, it's just not necessary. Nope. It, it doesn't it doesn't do anything other than make a hostile work environment. So it's a really great book. I'm listening to this one audiobook because I do a lot of driving. I do a lot of my books that way. And also, you know, I just, I do love, I do read books. But when you're driving around LA as much as I am, the audiobook, I'll get it done in a week. You know, whereas sometimes when I sit down and get comfy on my couch, I take a nap. So uh, this is is sometimes the best way to get it in. Yeah. So then on top of that, I'm starting and trying to finish in a month a draft of my next screenplay, Feed Phoebe, which Pam wasn't here, but it is a a micro-budget horror about a house sitter who's house sitting for her parents' friends and discovers the cat that she thinks she's feeding, a skittish cat she never really sees, is actually a demon and it's been eating her Tinder dates and Postman drivers and getting bigger. So, yeah. And also- And she may be shooting it in our neck of the woods, Pam. Yeah. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. We're basing it off of a location we have and also keeping it low budget because we're slowly we're pulling Kate Tuxford to this side yeah. of the world. It's going to be fine. She's going to film over here. She's going to get addicted to it. Be like, wait, you don't have to do what? You don't, you don't have to do deal with any of this, these things that you have to do. And then we'll, we'll pull her in. We're going to reel Kate Tuxford in. To the to the light side, to the good side, <laughs> and then we're going to locate you midway between Gettysburg and Alexandria, Virginia. Right. Wow. <laughs> so we Is can triangulate like, perfectly. There we go. I mean, I'll do my best, but I really like the sunshine here. So there's sunshine. Just, there's just a season for it. To every season. I mean. Turn, I'm from Arizona. Turn. I grew up in Arizona, and I did not know because it's always sunny in Arizona. Uh, that I do experience seasonal affect disorder. So if it's gloomy, I'm gloomy. So uh, be prepared for that. Well, it's also always sunny in Philadelphia. Um, That's I've true. Heard that. I've heard that. I've heard that recently as well. Speaking of resources, we have a great one this week over, while I am sometimes loathe to endorse pipeline artists, they have a great article written by Ken Aguado, Twitter handle Caguado, mm-hmm. entitled, not boring legal agreements for film and TV writers, which gives a very basic overview of common legal agreements and contracts that screenwriters find themselves 
Kirby 2. It's a short read, but it's one of those things that starts out, it's like a primer and gives you a place to start for if you're doing a deep dive on contracts and such. And it also has some links to some writer's guild resources within the article so that you can further go down the rabbit hole on this very complicated subject. And I want to thank Pam for being here to helping us uh, untangle it a little bit. And that is our show. Screenwriting from the Trenches can currently be found on Amazon, Anchor, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and Spotify podcasts, and soon to be YouTube podcasts. I just read about that this week, so I'm going to put it up. I'm going to put these up on YouTube. So those of you who have YouTube music and want to listen to it at work and things like that, I've, I've been getting requests for that. And so I will be putting them up on YouTube in the coming weeks. As well as KevinLMartin.com, our screenwriting Twitter drama theme song is written by Zach Morrison and used with his permission. And hey, we'd appreciate it if you dropped us a like or rated us five stars on whatever platform that you patronize. Because why, Kate Tuxford? Algorithms. For questions for us that we can and will answer on the show, please email me at robertbmofo.net. You can also find us on Twitter. I am at TheSpectacleMofo. I am at K underscore Tux. And Pam, you're not really a social media person. Is there a place where we can kind of find you? Yeah, I mean, if you really have something to say to me, you can get me on Twitter at at the number four, A-N-D, the number nine. That's my production company, Four and Nine Productions. And these things, as well as my YouTube channel series, where the Cinema Challenge series, after a brief hiatus from last week, I just couldn't do it, you guys. I we were After we shot the... 14 pages that we got through last week. I, I was just dead. There was I couldn't have put it in an episode. So all of that will be linked in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that you will continue to do so. Now, stop procrastinating. Those pages aren't going to write themselves. Pam, I'm so sorry that it took 90 episodes for you to be here, but we I'm glad that we finally did get to have you. And as always, I love you so much. Thank you for keeping me from making stupid mistakes <laughs> all the time rob you know you are absolutely one of my famous favorite people that i've ever met in film writing and i will say this a thousand times over it's because you get it you get it well and i like to, to think i get something you, as i say it's all rob to do look at me like again you get it you're right i know <laughs> i just can't stop winning mm-hmm.